to a pretty significant degree. They are now 4-0 without Kyle Lowry in the lineup at all, uh, and they've won three in a row. They are not going to remain undefeated with Kyle Lowry on the shelf, Eric. Is that correct? But how else will the Raptors keep improving every year under Dwayne Casey? That's that's it, right? They have to uh, they have to pretty much go undefeated from here, right? They have to run the table. I think they already have what twenty four losses. They can afford one more loss. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, if they go five hundred from here, they'll finish with forty seven wins, which would be their fewest in four years. Yeah, uh, but to, yeah, answer your question. Like I think even on Monday night, uh, especially on Monday night, it was evident how little offensive creation they have without him. Uh, like the the space, he's their only high volume three point shooter with you know a history of being you know deadly accurate or very accurate you know well above the league average. He's their best player at getting into their pa- the paint. He's the best player at finding open guys once he gets into the paint, and he's you know one of the most creative finishers in the paint. Uh, you know what he does shoot. And that's to say nothing of his defense, which, you know, I think is now in a better shape to be made up for with the roster composition. But there were a lot of ugly possessions against the Knicks and Corey Joseph and DeLon Wright are not regularly going to be able to blow by their man and draw a double like Lowry can often do. And... So there are going to be possessions where DeMar DeRozan is trying to make something out of nothing, which he's done very, very well over the last three games, obviously. DeMar Uh, DeRozan is very good, it turns out, at making something out of nothing. Yeah, uh, and there's going to be a dearth of three-point options for when he is swarmed and does need to kick it out, especially in the backcourt. Uh, I mean, neither DeRozan, Norm Powell... Uh, DeLon Wright or Corey Joseph are what you would call reliable three-point shooters. So I think you can write off the defense a little bit without them. They can find ways to manage, but there are going to be many nights where the Raptors struggle offensively, especially if DeRozan stops being a supernova, 113 points on 69 field goal attempts in the last three games. I mean, it's absurd. It's Ridiculous, And the Raptors have somehow, in these three games without Lowry, uh, the number six offensive basketball since the All-Star break. Uh, that is not going to keep up, I don't think. DeRozan is phenomenal. Uh, you mentioned the ways kind of Lowry helps the overall team offense. Lowry makes DeMar DeRozan's job way easier, too, by presenting that other ball handler and that kick-out threat and that other guy that can break the defense down. Uh, but as you mentioned, three games, 37.7 points uh, for DeRozan. Still over a point a minute over those three games, shooting 54%. 14 free throw attempts a game, uh, also helping on the glass in a major way. He's second on the team with 6.3 rebounds per game during that stretch. Uh, and then as you know, as much as the ball movement hasn't been terrific, he's averaged three assists. He's only had two each in each of the last two games. But um, I thought Monday in particular, uh, it wasn't really his fault. This wasn't a DeRozan, oh, the offense is sticky because DeRozan's going to work. It was DeRozan tried getting other guys involved. The team is shooting 31% on threes over the last three games, and so DeRozan had to, then had to go back to work. Um, he really doesn't have a, a number two option with Lowry on the shelf. DeRozan can't keep this level of offensive production up 
But can he shoulder the load with, with the other pieces around him? I, I know you're concerned about the offense overall. How big a load can DeRozan shoulder? Because it already seemed like he was at kind of the most load that anyone can really be expected to shoulder. Yeah, I don't, you know, it's sort of like the start to the year, and Lowry was healthy, but, you know, not quite Chilling. playing up with standard at that point. Uh, I don't think, in fact, I'm almost positive this is unsustainable. And, you know, we've seen when they've tried to do some other things, like Serge Ibaka can, you know, face up and hit a jumper, certainly, if you give the ball to him 16 feet away. Uh, that's a nice thing to do. Jonas Valanciunas can take it advantage of the, you know, matchup in the post, but his ability to get post position is still iffy, and, you know, he was sort of disastrous defensively again on Monday against the Knicks, I would say. Um, and the three-point shooters that they do have are just, you know, they're league average. You saw, like, Patrick Patterson... Uh, DeLon Wright made a great play for him, and Patrick Patterson just sort of whipped one off the off the backboard, no glass. Serge Ibaka, who's a very good shooter, had an air ball last night. Like, and, like, this is going to be an issue, and they just don't... And most teams don't have another, you know, more than two guys who you could throw the ball to and make a play. And this is where, you know, fans come in and say well, why isn't there more to this offense other than Kyle and DeMar go to work? And that's going to show now. And, of course, Dwayne Casey and Nick Nurse and staff can only work with what's there. Uh, but there's going to need to be more off-ball movement, uh, certainly, for this for the Raptors to survive. Uh, and it can't just be, you know, pick and roll and kick or drive and kick or drive and have DeMar hit a ridiculous 20-footer with Derrick Rose's hand in his face. I do like seeing the reaction of opposing fan bases when that is the offense and it works, though. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, hero ball is fun when, when it works, you know? Yeah, uh, you mentioned Serge Ibaka being a bit more of an option. Uh, his usage rate so far in Toronto, 19.7% over those three games. It feels like a lot more because he's taken 14 shots a game, which is uh, second on the team by far. But he hasn't really turned the ball over, and he hasn't really got to the free throw line. So those are really the only possessions he's used. Um, would be nice if his three-point mark could come up a little bit. Obviously, we're talking small samples here. Um, Abaka ideally is not going to be used 20% of possessions, but I think the rest of the way he probably will be. He was at 21% in Orlando, uh, usually hovered around the 17 to 19 mark in OKC. Is there anyone else you're looking to to step up as an individual and maybe provide more of an offensive spark? Uh, PJ Tucker has hardly shot the ball. For example, Norman Powell, uh, everyone wanted to see him freed. He has not played particularly well the last couple games coming out of the break. Is, is there anyone you're looking for, or is this going to have to be, you know, roll the ball out there and see which two or three guys can give you help each night? You know, I, I'd love to, I think Powell's the guy who's been the biggest disappointment. Again, small sample size, but he's, it's so tough when you're in this situation because he can feel what's going on around him and he can feel that there's no Kyle Lowry to pump up a second unit. So he wants to be that guy and then it looks like he's forcing. So you can understand why his play is a bit off, but he hasn't been that offensive factor that he was when he subbed for the injured DeRozan playing with Kyle Lowry a lot, you know, like, and that's understandable, but 
it's also you sort of need him to make that adjustment because he's probably the next best creative off the dribble option other than maybe Corey Joseph, who obviously has his issues. Hopefully Joseph gets into a bit more of an offensive rhythm, although I'd say on average he's been fine. He's a bit about what you expect without Lowry. He can eat the minutes and he can hit the odd floater and he can make the occasional kick out, but he, you know, he's doing what you would think he would do. And then hopefully the three-pointers start to go down at a bit of a higher clip. But I think other than Powell, it's basically find what works. And last night for eight minutes, that was DeLon Wright and Fred Van Vliet playing together, you know? Like, it's <laughs> it's, it's uh, going to be a mishmash, and uh, you can't really fault Dwayne Casey in this instance for lineup inconsistency. If you want to say the offensive foundation isn't th- there, maybe I have a bit of more time for that argument, although it's nuanced. But he's going to have to, you know, sort of, make it up as he goes along because they're I'm writing about like the most irreplaceable players in the conference uh, on Tuesday at the athletic and Lowry's right up there, you know, like there's no <laughs> simple solution as Masai Jerry said to missing your, to being without your best shooter, your, and your best creator. Call like, him what he is there. Call him the queen bee. Oh, <clears throat> uh, I'll, I'll, you know, Dwayne sure. Casey's words. Uh, I uh, I did not expect those words to come out of his uh, Wayne Casey's mouth, <laughs> but they're you know it's apt. Yeah, they are words. Uh, let's. I want your opinion on one other tweak Dwayne Casey made uh, in Monday's game against the Knicks. It didn't work out because Jonas Valanciunas wound up in foul trouble, and as you mentioned, wasn't playing particularly well uh, defensively. But what Casey did was he gave Valanciunas uh, an earlyish hook in the first quarter, and then brought him back in. Uh, late in the first, and it looked like he was basically going to be the backup center that you normally see in those DeRozan and Bench and Lowry and Bench lineups, where he would um, help prop up the second unit late in the first, early in the second, and then likely late in the third as well. Um, what that would also serve to do is limit the big man rotation to three. We ended up seeing Jakob Pertl for a minute uh, because of Valanciunas' foul trouble, and then Lucas Noguera came in to defend one inbound, but essentially the big man rotation involved only three players. Uh, we talked, I don't know if it was you and I that talked in the preseason, uh, but I've talked with someone in the past on a podcast about using Jonas Valanciunas more this way. And if he's not going to play in the fourth quarter, it's a way to keep his minutes higher. It's a way to get him touches. And as much as they slow the offense down and spacing is cramped around him with no shooting right now, um, they're still fairly decent efficiency looks when you get the ball down to Valanciunas. Do you like this idea of a quick hook for Valanciunas? Get to that patterson Abaca duo with the starters and let them maybe make a run and then go back to Valanciunas to help the second unit? Yeah, I'd like to see more of it. I mean, I think a certain segment of the fan base was even talking about it in terms of a solution without these trades and maybe Nagara would be starting and Valanciunas would be coming to prop up those second uh, those second units. That was more of a preseason conversation, I, I, I think. I mean, Lowry and the bench had been working so well before injuries hit, which has sort of changed everything about this team, starting from Patterson's injury and moving forward. Um, but, you know, I, I do like the possibilities. The concern would be that Patterson's minutes, you know, would go up. But I think we've seen that P.J. Tucker can manage some small four, and Damari Carroll can do that in the same situation. So, 
you know, I I still think Nogueira has done enough this year where you don't necessarily want to go away from him uh, permanently. But if these sort of offensive trends continue, for sure, this is that this is what the trades allow you to do a bit more freely is experiment with such a luck. Would it work? Well, you know, Jonas Valanciunas isn't the best passer in the world, even though he's made strides there. And that lack of shooting around him, especially considering the shooters that they do have are mostly in the front court. If he's playing, that means another front court, another shooting option in the front court isn't, which should cramp the spacing uh, further. So I, I don't know how productive those lineups would be, but it's been, it's something that I'm curious about. And I think, you know, the Raptors will probably experiment with more. Yeah, I, I would like to see it a little bit. They got to try different stuff. And I think it's going to be a night to night thing. See, you know, see what's working. Uh, you mentioned earlier that, you know, defensively, they might be okay. And I think this is actually, it's weird because Lowry is their best two way player and he is good defensively and advanced metrics love his impact on that end of the floor as well as offense. But it's defensively because of the timing of Lowry's injury and because of the addition of P.J. Tucker and Serge Ibaka that makes it, okay, maybe this isn't, you know, maybe it's not about coming up with the offense that, that Lowry's missing. Maybe it's about changing the identity and being more of a defensive-minded team. And through three games, uh, they're 12th in the league in defensive rating out of the All-Star break, tiniest of samples, but they've been about two and a half points per 100 possessions uh, better. And if you, you know, if you want to look at it qualitatively, they have had long stretches where they very much lock down. Opponents are shooting 36% in the fourth quarter over their last four games, all of those comeback wins. Um, so maybe maybe defensively there's a little more juice here. Uh, we talked a little bit about it, especially Tucker and Ibaka. What do you think of the closing lineup? Do you think this is, you know, we've seen Dwayne Casey juggle different closing lineups in the past. Last year it was the starters with Corey, jo or with Corey Joseph coming in in place of a, a true power forward. This year it was more the starters with Patrick Patterson coming in in place of Pascal Siakam. Now it appears to be the starters with P.J. Tucker in uh, and Serge Ibaka sliding to the five. Patrick Patterson could just as easily come in there for Tucker or Carroll. You might get a little more shooting and a different look defensively. Uh, is this kind of the fivesome that you see being Casey's go-to now down the stretch, especially if they're winning games? You know, going into the into the deadline, or, or after the deadline, I thought it would be Ibaka and Patterson more often than Ibaka and Tucker, and maybe Tucker would come in for Carroll a bit more. But you really see what Tucker, especially given the units and teams they've played down the stretch, you can see in, in these last three games, you can see what Carroll and Tucker being able to switch so freely does for the team. Like they're the, this lineup is so switchable right now. And I think you still have that with Patterson, maybe to a slightly smaller degree, but it's still there. Um, but I, I really don't know who else is going to find their way into it other than maybe Powell at times when they need more ball creation. Uh, it's, it's such a versatile defensive lineup. You know, the, the PJ Tucker steal from Isaiah Thomas uh, in that led to the Raptors taking the lead against Boston is sort of the defining possession of this early stretch maybe. And, and, that he sort of switched onto him after a screen and after Corey Joe and Corey Joseph fell back onto Tucker's man. And, uh, and there's just so many guys on this roster who can do that. Ibaka can credibly, you know, keep a guard, if not in front of him, get a, get a hand in his face. 
Can uh, I ask? Sorry to cut off your train there. Did did Abaka look fairly <laughs> gassed to you on Monday night? Sorry. Did Abaka look a little gassed to you on Monday night? Well, now that he's played more Raptors minutes than Bruno Caboclo, how could he not? <laughs> um, yeah, 106 minutes for him over yeah. three games and four nights. Uh, his first time with the team, averaging about 32 with Orlando, but not really giving the same effort he's been giving here. Um, yeah, pro- not, I, I, probably not a concern, but I didn't find him to be quite as good Monday night. Yeah, as, and especially at the beginning, I'd say. I don't remember. I think it was Mello who drove by him in the third quarter, I want to say, and Jonas Valanciunas picked up a, a critical foul that might not have been a foul on on a, on a Mello drive. Uh, his feet were maybe a bit slower, but look, they were on a back-to-back, so you can understand why. Plus, he still made Courtney Lee cry with that uh, with that illegal kind of sweep away on the final possession there. Even though Carmelo Anthony got an open three-point shot still, Courtney Lee crying his little eyes out. No, the Raptors, uh, the Raptors got away with a few screeny-type things last night. They did. Um, Carmelo <laughs> Anthony also got some friendly whistles on jump shots, too, though, yeah. and... Look, For you, sure. You can always, you can always. The thing is, you you complain about one possession, you go one possession back, and there's something for the other side to complain about. And over 48 minutes of prime, mostly evens out. Basketball turns out is a quick moving game in which three very well trained humans have a tough time calling perfectly. It's, and, it's, and when you add Ed Malloy to that mix with oh, the yeah. perfectly trained humans. Hey, hey. Let's, let's, let's leave Ed Malloy out of this. What has he ever done to the Raptors? <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I want to ask a bigger picture here. Kyle Lowry is out. Let's assume that he's not back until, let's say, we can give him the Cleveland game that ends the season if you want, but let's assume he's out for the, the bulk of the important part of the regular season. The Raptors are two games back of Boston. They're a half game up on Washington uh, slotted in the third seed right now, and they have a two-and-a-half game cushion on Atlanta uh, in terms of home court advantage. Masai Ujiri said on his conference call Monday that home court advantage, he didn't come out and say home court advantage is our goal, but he mentioned offhand protecting home court, which I took to mean that, you know, the goal is number four, so they get home court in the first round. Probably, if they were being honest, uh, number three is their target, with number two as a best-case scenario. Uh, if they finish, played 500 ball from here, they finished with 47 wins, which would probably have them at fourth and maybe a coin flip with Atlanta for five. Uh, is 500 ball a realistic goal with Lowry out? Can they aim a little higher? What do you? How do you see this changing their standing in the Eastern Conference, Eric? Yeah, I think, you know, at least the schedule isn't vicious at this point. Like, they've done their Western Conference trips. They don't play... Cleveland until the end of the year and what will likely be a meaningless game for the Cavaliers. Uh, they, how many more times do they lose to the Bulls? Once or twice? Once. <laughs> Once. Oh, also, um, after this Washington head-to-head Wednesday and Friday, they only play one team that's ranked in the top 10 for offense the rest of the way. Yeah, and so they can... That, that's that, that statistic is useful because if they have to win with this formula that we've seen over the last three games... Uh, Jamar be great and the defense be stingy type formula, you can do that against teams that don't light it up. Uh, so I, I think, you know, I, I predict they finish fourth. That That's, I think, is the most reasonable of predictions. They're going to have some games where they just can't put together 
enough offense, I think. And But, you know, you split this Washington series, and, and who knows? And the Celtics aren't exactly lighting the world on fire out of the break either. Um, I think two through five, not to to you know, evade your question, two through five are all still on the table and setting a goal other than winning as many games as possible is sort of pointless. But I think we have to understand what losing Lowry means realistically. And it's, it means a ton. And if he is out four to five weeks, the best case scenario is he's back late March. And I think you'd probably guess that, it would be closer to, you know, April and into, you know, probably into that last week of the season. Uh, if things go well, well, you know, they'll come out and they'll say his surgery went well and they'll treat it as it goes. Uh, and we won't really know what's going on. Uh, but you never know. They're going into a guy's rest. So. Are you suggesting that they may not be completely transparent and forthright about information? I, I actually wasn't. I mean, I would, but that's not what I was <laughs> I was suggesting at that time. Okay. Uh, um, but like, I, I this uh, surgery will probably be successful because this is what teams say. And and what would you know, an unsuccessful surgery be like? Like they accidentally disconnect uh, his wrist? Yeah, uh, Kyle Lowry no longer has a right hand. Sorry. <laughs> um, but that like, is, the, I guess so. I'm I'm conflicted. I want your opinion on this. The with a wrist injury, the nice thing is Kyle Lowry can theoretically keep his conditioning up. He'll be able to run. He'll be able to do things with his left hand in terms of dribbling and shooting work. Um, I assume his right hand is going to be immobilized for a little bit, and then he'll have to ease so. back. Pardon? I would hope so. Well, I don't. I don't know, man. The guy. <laughs> the guy played through the soreness at All Star Weekend. He might just. He might just rip a cast off like he's Charlie Kelly and Always Sunny or something. I don't know. Why uh, is he playing now then, Blake? Why could he tough it out then and not now? I don't know. Because he didn't <laughs> want that shooting percentage to dip in the playoffs again at a free agency. Clear, it's clearly to keep the numbers up going into free agency. Um, well, that so this is my question. is You look at guys who have had wrist injuries or hand injuries before, especially on their dominant hand, um, and, and maybe this is ascribing some some narrative that that's not there or, or just remembering certain anecdotes. Uh, it seems like it's a little spotty in terms of coming back and shooting well and having that comfort level right away. Uh, are you concerned at all about Lowry coming back and maybe being in a bit of a shooting slump as he finds a comfort level and, and gets, you know, wh- whatever out of the wrist, if there's, you know, still soreness or swelling or anything like that, or, or is his ability to maintain conditioning and the fact that they're getting ahead of this early ish, uh, are you comfortable with how he'll play when he comes back? Look, I think both of those things, like they're, you know, him being able to keep his conditioning up is great. Like, that's a wonderful thing. This is much better than a knee injury. Like, we saw, you know, what happened with Damari Carroll last year. Like, this is infinitely better. But if you want to, I want to emphasize that I don't want to hammer Lowry for not reporting this injury because, sure, in a perfect world, he wakes up Thursday says, hey, I have a sore wrist. You guys want to look at this? And then they do, and they take it for a second opinion, uh, and he doesn't play in the All-Star game, and he's having surgery maybe a week earlier, and that means he's theoretically coming back a week earlier, and that'd be great. It would give them more runway. But I think Masai Ujiri's point on the conference call on Monday was 
totally relevant. Like, this is guy a guy who's used to playing through stuff, and part of the reason he's so good and so laudable as an athlete is because he does, you know, play through pain and do so so effectively. So if you, you know, I, I don't have trouble believing him when he says he woke up and didn't think it was a thing. You know, I might not have played golf with it because that seems like the last thing I would have, I would want to do with a sore wrist other than maybe a, an arm wrestling competition. But like, uh, it's, it's part of, you know, that attitude is part of what makes Lowry who he is. Um, but sure, I would have liked him to have the surgery a week earlier. That would have been better. And I think because of that, you can justifiably be concerned about him not having his shooting rhythm heading into the heading into the playoffs if he does get back in time. I mean, last year there weren't any injury concerns, and he still had a terrible start to the playoffs in terms of his shooting. So, of course, this adds to the reasonable concern uh, that Raptors fans are certainly entitled to. It's not it's far from perfect, um, but they are also far from you know. Done, and I do think that you know, listening to Masai Ujiri go through the the options, you know, this is a type of injury where you can feel okay one day and not okay the next day, uh, and so Lowry can play through it sometimes without the surgery and not other times if he can manage the pain. Versus them doing this and hopefully having him right going into the playoffs, they chose the far better option, and he chose the far better option. All right, I don't disagree with that. Uh, I do want to do something uh, a little different, and I want you, in case in case anyone is still very upset after listening to this and after seeing the Raptors go 3-0 without Lowry this week, Eric, I want you to give the people a reason to be happy or to be optimistic. It doesn't have to be about Lowry. It doesn't even have to be about the Raptors. Just give us something to end the podcast happy with. Um, PJ Tucker plays for the Raptors, and it's fun watching him defend people. Also, his post-game scrums are awesome. Yeah, and he, he he had a bird shirt, I believe, in his first scrum as a raptor. He must have borrowed that from Damari Carroll, came yes, in and yes. uh, didn't think, have any clean clothes. I don't think Damari Carroll uh, uh, have broke out the bird shirt that quickly. Um, yeah, Damari Carroll's wearing those fancy shoes in his opening press conference. I think they they were had maybe gold spikes on them. Maybe I'm mixing up my Raptors fancy shoes. Uh, and also, it's about to be March, which means it's about to be April, which means... Yeah, only 31 days apart. <laughs> yeah. Lousy March weather. All right, uh, I got one for you. Just found okay. out today, uh, Tom Hardy, Channing Tatum, and Mayor Shala Ali are uh, going to be in a movie together, an action-adventure movie uh, written by the guy who wrote The Herlock. Oh, that's good. Yeah, this I'm, sounds... I know you haven't seen The Hurt Locker. Yeah, I haven't. So, uh, but, I mean, that lineup sounds pretty great. It does. And Moonlight won Best Picture. That movie was awesome. And despite the kerfuffle and hilarious mishap, uh, I don't want to make this a long speech about Hollywood, but it was unlikely that such a movie would win, and it was a wicked, beautiful movie. And, you know, calling it wicked seems like the worst possible adjective I could use. It, it was it was a really beautiful, well-done movie. And, you know, I, I was very glad to see it 
when over La La Land, which I have not seen, but is yet, you know, a, a movie about the importance of of the uh, of show business winning the Oscars would be a bit of self parody on on the Oscars part, and they've certainly gone in that direction in recent years. So I was glad to see the eventual outcome. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I agree with that. I've seen La La Land, and because I'm a white person, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I, a friend of the podcast, Jake Goldsby, summed it up, uh, the best, I think, for me, is that, uh, I think he tweeted something along the lines of, can I agree with every criticism about La La Land and still have enjoyed it? Because that's how I felt about it. Um, but yeah, yeah well, it's, it's nice funny. that a, a better, more important movie won. Yeah, and, um... Yeah, it just seemed so unlikely. Like I, you know, it not to, especially uh, unlikely when they were announced as not the winner. Yeah, once they announced the other movie, La La Land to win, it seemed especially unlikely. Yeah, but like we don't have to get into a long conversation about why this, you know, Oscars so white last year sort of gets you know hints at it. And Here, it here's the question though, that. an important question. Um, it sounds like Drake is going to be a driving force and uh, in the creative side of the. NBA's new end of season award show that they're going to be doing. I assume Drake's going to host as well. The NBA isn't going to try to parody this and give the MVP to the wrong guy, are they? Uh, I wouldn't put anything past. Because it seems like a prime opportunity to, you know, na- announce Steph Curry as the MVP yeah. and then make a 3 1 lead joke and hand it to someone else. I, I don't think the if the NBA is running the show, they will not risk, you know, upsetting one of their more marketable players to do that, I don't think, unless he's totally in on it. Yeah, uh, yeah they're not, like, everyone knows at this it. point that TJ McConnell is winning the MVP, so people yeah. kind of just know it's a joke when anyone but him is announced. Yeah, uh, maybe, yeah maybe if you want to get a, a random role player in on it, that would be something. But yeah. I, I hope not, because... I just can't see the NBA doing it. It, it. it is too risky to pissing off their most marketable assets, and they tend to like basketball-related uh, income, you know? So I don't, I don't think they're going to jeopardize that. All right. Uh, we've got some games this week, Wednesday and Friday against Washington, Saturday against Milwaukee, and then you hit the road. Is this correct? Sunday morning, I'm going to Miami, where the Raptors... That sounds terrible. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that, but yeah, the Raptors are going to be practicing. I mean, a place line will be on my stories, so it won't be any mystery. Uh, in between, they're planning to go to Miami. In between the Milwaukee game on Saturday and the New Orleans game on Wednesday, they'll be having two days of practice in Miami. Uh, I'll be there, which will be nice. And then I'll be in New Orleans, which will be nice. And then I'll be in Atlanta, which will... Atlanta has some good restaurants. I like and Atlanta. I'll, and then I'll be in Miami again, which will be nice. It'll all be very nice. I don't know if I'll talk to you next week because I'll be on the road, but maybe Probably I will. Not. We'll find someone else to do it. But I can... I I might be able to find some time. Um, yeah, I don't want to really interrupt your beach time, though. Yeah, I gotta, gotta work on on the tan. You gotta get a haircut too, because the way the length it is right now, it's gonna frizz out like crazy in that heat. I have been thinking about that. Um, it's it's a real problem. Make sure you send lots of selfies so we can uh, we can <laughs> talk about how your hair looks on the beach on this podcast next week. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, it's been longer than this in Miami before, I should say, and it has indeed been affected by the weather there. <laughs> uh, all right, man. Well, we'll let you go. We'll, uh, t- oh, I'll see you Wednesday, but we'll talk to you next week. Cool, man. Uh, everybody, this is a this is a serious situation for the Raptors, but it could be worse. I promise. That sounds like a threat. <laughs> uh, I think in some ways it is, but it's not me like who would be carrying out the threat. It is the basketball gods. Or if another first. raptor goes down hurt, guys, you you know who to go to first. Eric Green threatening well, raptors ends, and raptors fans. It's funny. We'll end this because we're already over time. But uh, right before the Lowry news broke, I uh, Tim Bontemps of the Washington Post tweeted that uh, Joachim Noah was having surgery because of loose bodies in his knee. And I joked to him, how can you fit a body in a knee, Tim? And then the exact same wording with Kyle Lowry's wrist uh, about 25 or 30 minutes later comes out. And, uh, you know, I I think... I don't believe in the fates that much that I caused that to happen because obviously the news was already in motion by that point. But, no, uh, plus, if I were going to use any voodoo power that I had, you know, I used that up when Dan Reynolds tore his meniscus. I'm not using it on an NBA player. I'm targeting <laughs> my, my enemies in real life. Yes. Uh, again, I'm staying out of this. Uh, <laughs> this. Uh, oh, yeah, that's the other thing about your trip. You're going to miss our head-to-head battle in our Thursday night league. Yeah. Uh, bad luck, and I hope your team loses. Yeah, we won't because, uh, you know, I'm going to bottle up that top score of yours, and then they don't have you. They're already without the. They're already going to be without the Lowry, and then I'm going to lock up your DeRozan. So. No, it's the, it's, it is the other way around, uh, definitely. Okay, well, that's more <laughs> difficult for me then. But uh, All right, everyone, we're going we're gonna to let you go now. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, check back next week. If only to be a reasonable man.